singer-songwriter Spencer Day grew up in a small town in rural Arizona, dreaming of the glamorous, sunny Hollywood life and the noir New York equivalent he saw in the movies. This fantasy informed his writing, along with his love for jazz, musical theater, cabaret, soul, and pop music. With his latest CD, Angel City, Spencer explores thoughts on love, fame, and narcissism, and how an artist can maintain integrity and authenticity in a world that so often values neither. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I asked Spencer how his childhood environment influenced his approach to his career. I think I came to jazz and I, I guess this music that seemed so sophisticated to me as a kid um, a little bit late, but also because it represented a world that was far away from <laughs> from where I was. I would draw pictures of like martini glasses and the and the Chrysler Building and the Hollywood sign when I was like six or seven. And I didn't I didn't know what a martini was. I grew up Mormon too, so even if I were nineteen, I probably wouldn't have known what a martini was. But um, but it represented like a world that seemed super exotic and 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 dark, but mysterious and and really exciting to me. And and I think because I grew up in this um, pretty religious town. The only video store that I know we went to was a pretty much only carried G-rated movies. So it was either Disney movies or MGM musicals. And so I opted for the latter. So I had kind of an idea of Hollywood and New York in my head. And I and I never as a kid and even into my early 20s thought like I'm going to be a singer. I want to be famous. That was never what drew me. But I was attracted to glamour. And the exotic thing. And that's what movies early on represented to me. And what jazz represented to me was this kind of glittering world that was so beyond what I could have ever really known. And now I'm just so blessed. I've had some times where I'm on stage in some beautiful place. And I'm, it's a, almost a deja vu thing where I'm like, this is, I could have never imagined I would actually be <laughs> in the jazz nightclub scene that was in my head when I was like eight years, nine years old. Like, I love this. I especially love it because... People have so many different images of jazz, so many of them wrong. Yes. <laughs> and I love that you saw it as glamorous because there is this view of the sophisticated side of it, but there's this other view. And I love that you tapped into the sophisticated side of it. Well, I think even the gritty side of it and what New York City, because when I told my mom, and I think she really regrets this now, but she was just you know a product of the world she had been and having never been to New York because she asked me... I. God, I was, I don't know, maybe 11. Like, what do you want to, what do, you want to uh, do or where do you want to go? Or, or maybe I just volunteered it. But I was like, I'm going to go to New York City. And she's like, you will never go there. She's yeah. like, people, <laughs> she's like, it's dangerous. People from here don't go. And I used to draw pictures. This is really messed up probably. But I used to draw pictures of Times Square because I didn't know what Times Square was about. And like basically prostitutes. I didn't even know what they were. But like sexy women with like fishnet stockings <laughs> and pictures like hanging on street corners. Because once again, it was just so far from alfalfa farms and it just it the the gritty and the glamorous together i think always fascinated me and the, the first time i went to hollywood actually i was um kind of in charge with taking care of my um my great grandparents and uh, who i was very close to and then my granny she had um alzheimer's so which um was very hard for me because i was very close to her and at some point she didn't know who i was but i would come out you know any excuse to get out of uh out of pine top lakeside arizona my parents had split by that point so i was in this town that's an exciting crossroads of mormonism racism redneck defeatism and alcoholism so i jumped at any chance i could to get <laughs> oh, 
out of there. <laughs> it just sounds wonderful. It, I can't it's wait a Walmart to in the woods. It. It's a oh my uh, for I don't think anyone from there is listening to it. But anyway, I had a you know kind of I was had a rough you know high school experience there. So when I had this opportunity to like basically kind of take care of her and and uh, you know at a Christmas break, I really jumped at the chance. And so, but I had an afternoon free where. Um, my uncle was free to take care of them. So I said, I'm going to the Orange County Mall in Villa Park. And um, I saw the bus stop with all these exciting locations like Downey, El Segundo, <laughs> places I know that you hail from. And I just took a bus to Hollywood. I took three buses. It took like three hours. And the, this time the bus driver was so concerned about it because like, I've never been on a bus before talking to people. I probably shouldn't have talked to you. Oh, 13, I think. And you took the bus to Hollywood. Yeah, it took about three hours. Because for me, I was like, I'm going to the beat. But I took it took about three hours. And I got to the Chinese Theater. And this is back when, when Hollywood Boulevard was kind of rough. But even that I found exciting, mis- mm-hmm. mysterious, because there was this glamorous iconic old art deco theater and then it was just hollywood boulevard was pretty dodgy but even then i think i was i've anyway i guess the long rambling no but i'm loving it i'm actually uh having a fabulous experience here because we've just met i've been a fan of yours before this but different generations having a very similar situation because i felt that way coming to new york and I brought a friend of mine who's even taller and blonder than I, and we were both in our early 20s, and I remember this big, threatening black guy came up and like said, hey, blondie. And she said, well, you're just like a big teddy bear. And I thought, <laughs> I thought wait, this is wrong. I know this is wrong. You know, two California girls, but it's like you being there, and I'm thinking of you on Hollywood Boulevard at, uh, you know, or Sunset at 13, and this cute boy coming from uh, Arizona I mean, it's pretty amazing that you did it, that you just got on that bus. Yeah, I think that was uh, maybe I think maybe, you know, necessity being the mother of invention is even when I moved to California and I just decided I was like I couldn't do a Mormon mission. It was just not my not my path. But it was I just kind of had 300 bucks and just threw it in my car. My mom being very sweet. I think the rest of my family being way less thrilled that I was. But I think she always knew that I was just not going to go down this normal path so she kind of waved until I drove out of the distance but I had 300 bucks and I was like I'm gonna figure it out because I was like you know I just yeah I had nothing to lose I think sometimes when when there's no option of of going back it can be a really good thing Mm because it forces you to have to figure it out and no and I think that's very important I want to reinforce that because I think a lot of times I hear people talk about oh I just went off and uh, and took a, a gap year, and I was running all around Europe, and I didn't have any money. But you know there's some safety net for them, because there has to be if you're going to take a year off and just run yeah. around Europe. And to meet somebody like you that really didn't have anything to fall back on, and I think that's very important. I think it's very inspiring for other people. I think a lot of times that maybe not a great situation growing up can be very inspiring just in launching you that you want to do something different and you seek something else, which you did, obviously. Everybody here has got a story In the sunken city by the sea It's a crazy, hazy purgatory A candy-colored bag of broken dreams here they come, those hapless, hopeful strangers Wrapped up in the fabric of the town 
Play with the city like a fashion statement The way we cop it's wear designer gowns And from above, from above They look like angels But when you're down, down below You're all alone And you know you're L-O-S-T-N L-O-S-A-N G-E-L-E-N Lord, it goes down L-O-S-T-N L-O-S-A-N Gotta come from somewhere But ain't nobody I know from around here Hide those New York roots beneath that blonde hair And watch those Midwest morrows disappear Cause from above, from above They look like angels Megaplex, Trap Jam, LAX, Indy, BIP, someone come and help me. L-O-S-T-N, L-O-S-A-N, G-E-L-E-N. Lord, I guess I'm L-O-S-T-N, L-O-S-A-N, G-E-L-E-N. Won't come to no good in Hollywood. Yes, I'm lost in Los Angeles. Come to no good in Hollywood Yes, I'm lost in Los Angeles My guest, Spencer Day, on his composition, Lost in L.A., from his CD, Angel City. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I think one thing that's been hard to, to see, and I mean, I, you can't help but notice it, is the majority, not only are the majority of working successful artists from either wealthy and or famous parents, but almost all of them, if you look, you know, any, you know, everyone from J-Lo to, you know, I, I don't know, Jennifer Aniston, that wasn't a very wide margin, mm-hmm. but just so many people, they were just the first two that came to mind. They're, they either grew up in New York or in Los Angeles, and it doesn't even have to do with privilege. You know, you can be from a, but when you grow up in those environments, you know somebody who knows somebody 
who made it. And so there's a sense of feeling like, well, I can do that. And most people, I think the people who come from the heartland, they're, and there's such a different way of relating to people. If you're from Los Angeles, even, you know, just anywhere in Southern California, you kind of understand the herb, urbane codes of how you interact and when people are full of it. And in a way that I think if you're from South Dakota or somewhere, you just take people probably too much at their word. And it's it's just so much harder to navigate. So I think that's another reason you don't see as many people in the arts is just you never like my mom said to me and in a way that she, of course, regrets now. And she's been my biggest cheerleader. But you just people from where I was did you just it wasn't done really it was kind of a dream but and the one girl i know that came back she was the daughter of the mayor in town and and she was like i went to hollywood and she had her you know her headshots which looked nothing like her i mean they they were beautiful <laughs> but i remember being like what was it like i was so like this is so i mean not that she wasn't but i mean they you know lighting as i know full well for myself lighting can go a long way but uh, um uh, but I was like, what was it like? You know, I was so excited. And, and now in retrospect, I can see this kind of sigh of her trying to paint it as a more positive thing because she came back and it did not work out for her. And I think she, like a lot of people, got ejected from the system pretty pretty quickly. And I think, you know, I'm glad she had a safety net. And, and I do in terms of, of, you know, even if it wasn't money, though, I mean, I, 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 I'm very grateful that so many people are pretty much strangers opened their door to me and it was really the kindness of strangers that got it through because I did this sounds way dramatic it didn't feel like at the time but I lived in my car for a couple weeks here and there had my alarm set up and I got a 24-hour fitness membership to shower which I still have oh, I <laughs> I'm it. gonna go there later today I should be their spokesperson like, for a success story um, but but I think that kindness of strangers I think maybe other people you'd be the empathy when other people see that you don't really have a plan B also comes up. And I think I'd like to think hopefully when I encounter that in people that it also, you know, brings out that that quality me because I otherwise I couldn't. I don't know how I would have made it. I love that, though. I like you saying that, because I think when somebody is sincere and and definitely when you're young, people are looking, I think good people are looking to support a young person with a vision who's sincere who, because everybody, uh, well, I won't say everybody, but there's so often the best-looking person in town goes to Hollywood yeah. because their whole life people have been saying, you should. you should go to Hollywood, you're beautiful. And then they realize that there's two billion other people that are out there and that it takes something besides being pretty. And that brings me to to your wonderful CD, which has such a great vibe to it about the very things we're talking about, Angel City. It got me thinking about my own time in L.A. and then in New York and that people often talk about broken dreams and all of that in this semi-romantic but melancholy way, what you address uh, in this CD, that I don't see that in the same way in New York. And certainly lots of people come to New York and are run right over. But maybe that's less romantic. <laughs> It's just over quickly. I don't know. I mean, Ed Koch, I quote this all the time. One of my favorite quotes is he said, if you're one in a million, there's 10 of you in New York. Yeah. And it just sort of takes care of it. Oh, that's... Goes, Isn't that great? Statistically, that that actually, <laughs> that, that must, that factors out population-wise almost exactly. But yeah. I'm curious about that, of your choice to do this CD, but also just my own little thing about the New York, why there aren't people having the same sort of 
dreamy quality about broken dreams or what that is, the difference in those two places, because you've lived both. Well, I think one of the things, and I I think there's a reason that film noir movies, which are all informed so much of what I was doing since I couldn't watch, you know, racier films, and so many classic films actually do have a lot of double entendre and darkness to them. And I think if you're perceptive as a young person, like a streetcar named Desire was one, I was like, why is she mad at him again? <laughs> Let me go back and watch that and kind of figure that out. But uh, um, but the noir, the New York one is more about the paranoia because in a film noir, the things that make it that is usually there's a fall guy, one guy. There's a sense of paranoia. And they really came about the dark side of the American dream and nowhere represented the American post-war dream more than Los Angeles. You know, especially at a time without central air or heat, being in a place with that weather, it, it, it promoted itself that Los Angeles's in initial growth really post-war was built on growth and selling this idea of a Mediterranean, exotic Latin American paradise without the, <laughs> without right. the Latin people. Right, um, right. To, you know, middle American selling. And whereas New York, I, even when I came here, it's like no one expects a cakewalk when you come to New York. I think for, you know, 150 years, it's been gritty and tough, but it will be fabulous and exciting. And it kind of delivers on that. So the film noirs about New York tend to focus on the darkness of the city almost kind of closing in on you. But Los Angeles, usually in a film noir, someone's like, I'm my cousin Johnny said me get me a job as a singer in Hollywood. And it's all about them like detour. So many about them trying to get to Los Angeles and what lurks beneath the banana palms. And that's one thing when I would go to business meetings in LA is I never did so much lunch. I'm so tired of doing lunches because in New York, it's like you kind of more get right into it because no one has the time. But it's very smart to do lunch thing because through this small talk you're making, you're able to assess, assess like how confident someone is or their story is true. But that's the disconnect is Los Angeles. The, the, the Still, even today, even though so many movies, including La La Land or whatever, go into kind of touching on that dark or at least melancholy side of LA, there's still this disconnect between these scenes of driving down Pacific Coast Highway and these really iconically beautiful things meeting a city that's every bit as hustling and cutthroat as New York. Whereas New York, I guess maybe the landscape kind of and the expectations, I think, even though people know about the Boulevard of Broken Dreams in L.A., I think it's still hard to believe it. You're, you're, the movies are ba based on what you believe. And in a way, more so than New York, I think Los Angeles is what you make it. It's a city based on these projections and um, surreal ideas. And so your experience is really tailored by what you expect of it and what you bring to it. Wake up in the morning feeling wicked and wild I got the body of a man but the soul of a child Sunrise over Sunset Boulevard Everyone I meet is a walking cliche It could be that it's me but it's so hard to say And I don't want to be that guy the Hollywood sign Another prisoner of the past I'll be the first to make it last I'm pushing on the pedal But I'm riding on a broken dream I'm spending all my money And I'm wasting my time I got my clove cigarettes And my box of wine I'm high above it all I missed another casting call 
Maybe I was born too late But the world is gonna have to wait I'm pushing on the pedal But I'm riding on a broken day Angeline's on the walk of fame Everyone's gonna know your name Sunshine City where it never rains But it washes you away Think I'm gonna wash away My guest, Spencer Day, on Riding on a Broken Dream From his CD, Angel City I'm Judy Carmichael And this is Jazz Inspired. Talk about this CD, making it and and creating this story throughout, which is really beautiful. A lot of people try to do that but don't accomplish it, and I think you accomplished it beautifully. So talk about the whole concept of it. Oh, thanks. I mean, I I kind of wanted to write it from just different little vignettes of of different scenes, and and for for me, I kind of wanted it to ultimately end in kind of that it's okay to believe in that Los Angeles isn't fully real, at least that Los Angeles in my head. And when I say that, of course, there's just like New York, there's so many different LA people. And usually the people who we think of as like flaky or kind of duplicitous are not actually from Los Angeles. I find <laughs> I find native Angelinos to be pretty cool and like bullshit free for the most time. And they're not impressed in the same way that native New Yorkers, they're not impressed by the glitter, it's the people are probably honestly more like me who are more um, susceptible to succumbing to, you know, the narcissism or the or the depression or whatever else that can come oh, along with that. That's interesting. You think the people who grew up there just have seen it all. They're pretty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, you know, I have usually the people who are who are from there. I um, I didn't know as as far as the people who we think of as being notoriously Hollywoody, you know, fake and all and so crassly materialistic, I think a lot of times tend to be from other um, places, but who but, came with that fantasy and hoped to yeah. to realize it there, or maybe they even had a more innocent, you know, altruistic fantasy. But upon realizing what the stakes were and what seems to be valued, had to kind of um, compromise that. And I think that's one reason that I left Los Angeles, and I may I spent my time now between New York and Southern California, which works out great. But I um, I left Los Angeles proper about three and a half years ago, and part of the reason was that I was I really found myself pursuing someone else's idea of what success was. And I mm. think no matter what we do, you know, in the arts, you have to really assess that and stay in touch with your psychology in some way about why it is you're doing what you're doing, because the world very explicitly tells you what you should want. Instagram, all of those things are telling you what success should look like, and and everyone else is kind of presenting that. So I, I the reason I, I wanted to write it about leaving it so that I could still love it and retain what Hollywood meant to me when I was drawing pictures of it on my wall at seven years old was because to, it, the dreaming is the thing. And so if you lose sight of that and, and the belief in it, and once again, never being in it for the fame, but being in it for for what I love MGM musicals for, which gave jazz some of its best songs, is that they're all about creating a world. So I was more interested in in that. And that's what Hollywood has given to the world that is such a, a treasure is is the ability to create these landscapes and people to take, you know, a director, an actor, what's inside their head and realize this own world and give us an entrance point into their own 
into their own world. And, and uh, so for me, it was, it was really about that. And I think um, kind of meditations on, on it's okay for some things to be an illusion you know mm. personally it's 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 what illusion you're you're aligning yourself but we're all you know any career in the arts requires a certain level of denial about what yeah. is <laughs> to be happy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Thank you. 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons and from East Hampton Indoor Tennis. Eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit ehit.ws for more information. Additional support is provided by jazzonthetube.com, the largest annotated collection of classic jazz videos online from early jazz greats like Louis Armstrong to Thelonious Monk and other bebop masters. The collection also includes an extensive library of Afro-Cuban jazz. All are available with a free subscription at jazzonthetube.com. For a schedule of upcoming jazz-inspired programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to podcasts of Jazz Inspired on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. My guest is singer-songwriter Spencer Day, whose new CD, Angel City, celebrates the Los Angeles and Hollywood experience, something he romanticized as a child growing up in a small town in Arizona. So talk about Angel City, the title track. Um, well, I think it kind of going right along with what we, what we were talking about of the reason you, you came to New York and that um, I, ca- I came to Southern California is, is uh, the, the lyric uh, in there is, you know, so show me what, what I want to see and tell me how to feel and I will keep believing until you're real. And that really kind of sums up <laughs> for for me uh, what it's about is my my belief in wanting this Hollywood ending um, is is the thing that drives you on to your greatest thing. So even if it's based on illusion, there's a great E.B. White wrote a short book called This Is New York. Oh, I don't it's the best. It's we the all best. love that. Um, and there's a part where, and I think it applies to Los Angeles too, where he talks about that there are... Um, there are three kinds of people who make up a city. There's the person who was born there in a great city who kind of takes the city as inevitable and a little bit for granted, but they, you know, just kind of go on. It's all they've known. And the second is a person who fishes in the wallet of the city, who comes into the city to commute, who moves here for a job. And he would argue that the third and most important is the dreamer, the person who believes that the city represents something. Um, and the first gives the city stability and, and, you know, groundedness. The second gives it financial relevance, but the third gives it its commitment to the arts. Its architecture is even affected by people who say, this is what New York looks like. I believe, and, and it's a very real, if you build it, they will come sort of thing. And I think Los Angeles from the movie sets onwards and, you know, French Chateau next to a gas station <laughs> next no, to a, exactly. is really about crafting these own, you know, individuals for better or worse. And I think that's the thing is it's, I never want to, dog in Los Angeles on Los Angeles because it's really it's it's formed me as much as New York has and my and my sensibility so I think that for me kind of summed up my love of it and I think my love of film noir because I'm trying to pull a lot from film noir you know well, I love right. Chinatown and <laughs> well and I think that it's a very positive message because as you're saying this I'm thinking about a painter friend of mine who was a real mentor in my 20s and she said even if everything she was great not surprisingly, at creating beautiful environments. And she said, even if you're having a meal alone, always have a flower, even one flower on the table, and set the table. You know, have your silverware, a nice cloth napkin, real plate. Take that time for you, which is more important now than ever. But she was saying, make this beautiful 
arrangement. And even if you don't have a lot of money, you've created this image. And I kept thinking as you were talking that your fantasies can be real. Not I'm fantasizing I'm a billionaire, yeah. but fantasizing these images and the glamour. And you bring that into your own life is really what it is in whatever way you can. I mean, she was one that taught me if you can't afford a good bottle of wine, that's what a carafe is for when you're serving. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it was true because she didn't have a lot of money. But you went to her house and it was the richest experience. You can live well. And I, I think um, I've had moments where, you know, there's so much bullshit that comes with both Los Angeles and New York. But sometimes when I'm here and I'm, I'm going through Midtown and I'm just kind of hating the experience of doing it, I will put on something like Rhapsody in Blue or whatever. And all of a sudden I'm 19 again, right. seeing it for the first time and, and the crush of people. And you kind of have to live in a bit of a fantasy world, but we're all doing that. It's not even a fantasy world. It's remembering that there are multiple realities going on at the same time. On one level, it's dirty, but there's still, you can kind of forget that music for me has always been a way that there's sometimes where I was driving, you know, desperately, you know, painstakingly, unsustainably in love, driving down the PCH and the Beach Boys actually start playing. And I'm like, this is my childhood. I never thought I could be here with someone so beautiful and in love and on the coast and all of a sudden it's the cliche is real right. for a moment and I have that in New York sometimes where you're like this is not even this like you know central casting couldn't yeah, <laughs> get couldn't these people better. more right on yeah and I think that like you say that's what the movies and music give us if we keep reminding ourselves and bringing ourselves back to that which is really it's very Buddhist when you think about it because yes. it really is your your reality and the reality that you create. And I appreciate Los Angeles, well, California much more than I did before because now I go back and I have a different view of it. I always say that I'm. it's a good thing I didn't grow up in Santa Monica because I would have never left. Yeah, I grew up in Pico Rivera and couldn't wait to get out. So that motivated me in the same way that you were motivated. So I think, like I said, sometimes that's, that's a good thing. Angel City, pure imagination Blue illusions, hold my fascination I want to love you, but I don't know who you are Big oasis, borrowing the water your valleys with wayward sons and daughters But trying to touch you is like trying to catch a fallen star And if nothing's what it seems Why am I chasing after dreams that won't come true? I could open up my eyes And face the pain of grown wise But I'm a fool, a fool for you I believe in the Hollywood ending I believe I'm no longer pretending So show me what I want to see And tell me how to feel 
And I will make believe until you're real. Talk about the ghost of the Chateau Marmont. Well, um, it's kind of inspired my friend. Um, she sings in the postmodern jukebox, and uh, I, my best friend was in town. And before I moved, my first apartment in Hollywood I got for $300 a month. And Where was, was that? It was in what's generously called Silver Lake uh, now. Was, <laughs> I paid all in cash, which I think the landlord really liked. But, you know, there were a lot of entrepreneurs and actors slash models, which I soon realized meant drug dealers and prostitutes. <laughs> Hanging out by the El Pollo Loco, waiting to get propositioned underneath the sign that read, uh, Crazy You Can Taste. Uh, and, um, no. and And that was my first place, but it was mine. And I kind of wanted this Days of the Locust, kind of like my New York thing, like a, a blinking neon sign, <laughs> a little bit gritty. I get me and a typewriter and a bottle of whiskey, even though I didn't really <laughs> like whiskey or have a typewriter. But I, I wanted that kind of... Um, and it had a pool. It was an empty pool, but <laughs> with a bunch of leaves at the bottom. Oh but, my gosh! Just waiting for William Holden. But I exactly yeah. No, but then my last one was a block away from Chateau Marmont, and it was in a way it was a more beautiful building. But there was still something very Days of the Locust about everyone in the building. And when I went down to the Chateau Marmont to meet my friend, we kind of got um, turned away by the snarky guy, which is weird because the time before I'd gone in no problem. And I kind of was, I guess, a little put put off by the night. But I remembered this painting that was inside of this woman that was very spooky, this painting. And the building I lived in, I didn't know, was where all the staff from the Chateau Marmont lived back in the day. And I did find out that in my unit, someone had hung themselves. <laughs> of course and they had. And I'm not woo-woo particularly, but there were some nights where the wind would blow and there's this one palm tree that would bang against the side of my wall. And I was like, if you're there, I'm really sorry about whatever happened. <laughs> I have to say that I, in all seriousness, said that at least twice. I was watching American Horror Story first season by myself alone at like two in the morning. So that may have contributed. <laughs> but um, I started having this melody, which kind of felt like a waltz and I showed it to my friend Cliff who um, and he I, I had had the ghost of the Chateau Marmont as the idea and then I wrote the music and then we did the lyrics together and I think it was so close to me that he was he was great to bounce it off for that reason but I just I was really proud of the melody and I think that the the noir thing about the whole idea is that you can be a ghost in Hollywood and still be very much alive <laughs> <laughs> There's a place lost in time where the palm trees and vines rustle under an empty blue sky. Where successes and fakes go to make their mistakes far away from the cruel public eye. Past the red velvet rope, pink champagne lines of coke. See a star, catch a glimpse of a thigh But behind every thrill Lies the terrible chill Of a dream that refuses to die Now and forever Prisoner of Babylon Pray that you'll never Ghost of the Chateau Marmont She was shiny and new Not so different from you Wide-eyed and fresh off the farm Golden hair warm as honey 
She didn't have money But could light up a room with her charm But her soul was no match for a town That can snatch up your hopes And give none in return Casting couches and pills Are a certain to kill As the Hollywood hills are to burn Now and forever Prisoner of Babylon Pray that you'll never Meet the ghost of the Chateau Marmont Night after night she wanders the heart Searching for fortune and fame Should her life sound familiar at all You never knew her by name Now and forever Prisoner of Babylon Pray that you'll never Ghost of the Chateau Marmont Pray that you'll never Meet the ghost of the Chateau Marmont My guest, Spencer Day, from his CD, Angel City. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm so impressed with, with you that you got on the bus, all these things, and I've known other people that have done this sort of thing that they just, there's nothing to indicate that they could have done it. They, you know, some people go to college and they, they have support, they have different things, but the person who really starts with pretty much nothing and goes out and does it, and it isn't just talent, as we know, because everybody, when they're young and ambitious, thinks they have talent, and so they all go. But the attitude to keep yourself going, to keep taking these knocks, to be, to have a record company sign you but then not know what to do with you so they don't want you to do anything, that thing we've talked about and that people know about. What can we say to other people that we want them to feel they can go for things and not in that, I get that cliched sort of self-help book way that irritates me because that always seems to promise things that I think are pretty unrealistic. If you just have yeah. the right attitude, you're going to read the, meet the right man. And I'm just yeah. like, oh, I have man. issues with the secret. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Those things, they just irritate me. It's like Buddhism meets like a casino or something. It's no, thank of, you. Yeah. That's what I say. They're taking um, ancient philosophy, but with a, a weekend of est. It's not how it works. Yeah. And, but there are things that that do help people go back to a better spot as they're trying to create a beautiful life. And I'm curious about those things and how you've done that because you obviously keep doing it. Well, I mean, I've had periods where even recently, I think, you know, the the childlike desire to create or make music is so beautiful. And then it's meeting an industry that's every bit as cutthroat as Wall Street. And I think that is one reason that a lot of artists retreat into drugs or alcohol is I think, you know, artists tend to be the most sensitive people. And the way things are set up, they also face some of the most rejection of anyone, which is also going to be really difficult. And so not just for me, because I had a period where I don't want to say it was a nervous breakdown, but kind of where... 
I wasn't enjoying it at all. And I found a trait in myself that was like bitterness, which is not ever a trait I usually think of myself. I'm prone to getting depressed, but not getting bitter. And I just saw people being rewarded for for bad behavior, basically, and success, which we can all see around. And I went to this um, retreat. The reason I decided to leave Los Angeles briefly is I was I was going to a yoga class, actually. And a girl see, I was... told you. <laughs> And a girl was stealing my parking spot. So I was like up to the car and then she swooped right behind. And I just was like looking at her like, I'm, I'm got this one. And she was like st- edging up and I just put the car in reverse. <laughs> I knew I wouldn't hit her car, but the wheels were like smoking and turning. And I was like, you are not getting this spot for me. Like pushing her car back. And I mean, no, there was no damage or anything like that. But I was like, I need to leave here for a second. <laughs> but it was just like, nice guys always finish last and I'm tired of finishing. Um, but I met a woman who used to be in the industry and then she became like a, you know, Buddhist meditation. I'm Buddhist and um, non-denominationally, but but she was reminding me, as I think with artists, too, is that it's about the work. Keep bringing yourself back to it because it's so easy to get distracted. But instead of promising, like we're saying, people a career with, you know, you know, like nonstop highs and no lows, because if you look at any successful career and Peggy Lee. I just randomly coming to mind. It's these huge peaks and valleys and just getting knocked down and horrible reviews and people not understanding what you're trying to do and the cruelty of aging in front of everyone publicly because no one wants to see any time people. That's why they don't like seeing their stars ages. It reminds them of their own mortality. Hence part of the obsession with the youth is, is if people are watching their sex symbol or idol or whatever it is, they have to see that in themselves. But she was just reminding me, just keep coming back to the work. And and removing yourself from from being I, society's identification with what success is, um, and that's that's hard to do because we do need validation, just like in love or any other relationship. And when we're not getting that, that I guess it does sound a little self-helpy, but I get you know I mean you you really have to provide that to yourself. And in a Buddhist sense, your dharma. If if music is your dharma or if whether art is your dharma, it's it's an activity where you lose all track of time. But we confuse that with meaning that you get paid by it. And for some people, it's being a mother. It's it's gardening. But for me, writing especially, I forget what time it is. I could lose an entire day. And it, and it's the for me in my own small way, it's the way I can be a catalyst for the change I want to see in the world through the causes I support. And, you know, I have, I think, generally pretty progressive views about things and i think especially um towards what i've seen is how a lot of people at the at the border are put at such a, such a disadvantage and then they're being told well just wait in line when there's absolutely no line to wait in and but instead of and i'm a fan of you know protests or voting obviously all those things are great but for me personally music is the way that i can bring people together from many different walks of life and and political um slants and remind them of our shared humanity instead of focusing on our differences. And when I have those moments of seeing people tear up or or Mike Pence's mom came to a show I was recently doing and I was just being me and being out and doing my thing. But she she really enjoyed it. I didn't realize I was meeting her till afterwards. And I was like, well, there's something to that, though, because what I at my best, I can speak to a universality and music for me can do more than any other amount of way of trying to reach people and make people happy. And that tells me that I'm in my dharma. And that's what reminds me. So performing, even though it's been the greatest source of pain and anxiety in my life, the rejection and just all of my low self-esteem being right on the, the surface and all of my I've never liked what I've seen in the mirror. I've never 
you know, I've never, I've always felt like for years, I would say when I got off stage, you're a joke, you're, you know, like you messed it up. And now as cheesy or self-help as that sound, every time, even if the show doesn't go well, I go like, well, that got away from us, but you did great. And I love you. And I say that to myself every time before I perform. And that's really changed it because that's ultimately the only person at the end of the day that you have to impress. So I know that sounds like a cliche, but it, it really is about you and, and, and what is the way you can make the most people happy in your life. You'd be so nice to come home to You'd be so nice by the fire While the breeze on high sang a lullaby You'd be all that I could desire under stars chilled by the winter under an august moon burning above you'd be so nice you'd be paradise to come on to and love So you're a Julian London fan. I'm so happy you brought me a Julian London track. Talk about this. Well, for me, when I started singing, my my older brother has this beautiful opera voice. And I'd say one thing that I did love about Grant Mormon is music is really hugely important, just like it is in the gospel. I wouldn't say we're funky people usually. (laughs) But, Funky Mormons, I don't but, think so. But incredibly musical, like every, you know, there's such an emphasis in the culture. So he had this really great, voice and he was very popular. And so when I started, it sounded like steam escaping, like I would, you know. But then when I would hear, because people would be like, "Oh, did you listen to Frank Sinatra?" And I like Sinatra, but I really didn't. It was Chet Baker and Julie London, these people that could kind of whisper and even like Marilyn Monroe I'd watch like you know a movie I'd be like I can do that I can kind of just like breathe really heavy and have it come out and so for me when I heard it as is uh, her intimacy I just I think that she's great and I I think she occupies her and Peggy Lee in that way just such a unique place that of course they wouldn't have had careers before the microphone but I feel like what they're able to achieve for me and Betty Carter too, it was just this minimalism of, and and it's so difficult to sing in tune that breathy too. I think people, you know, once again, that cliche of the girl singer just kind of moaning along to something that it can actually sound good. And, and Julie London, it's surreal how gorgeous she was and how, how pretty her singing was. saw me standing alone without a dream in my heart without a love of my own blue moon one of the traits that I find in great athletes uh, musicians people that study yoga or Buddhism, something like that, they speak of it as a practice. And I like that terminology Mm -hmm. because that implies a constant practice of coming to this point that is good. And that we all sort of lose that and get, and it disperses. But then if we keep practicing, we come back to that point of, of, 
self-knowledge or playing a, a game better or playing our music better, but it is a practice. And that, that represents living your life, that it's every day, that it is the journey, that it isn't just that goal. Absolutely. And I think, I think one thing that I don't like that these um, many books um, talk about, which you know, I think set people up for, for disappointment, is to expect that you should always feel creative or that every day is going to be good. And it's in that Buddhist sense, once again, it's accepting that the, you know, enjoy what there is to enjoy and suffer what there is to suffer and try not to be uh, you know, attached to it and come back to it. But by putting yourself out there in any way, um, there's a wonderful woman. I don't know if you know Susan Warner. She's a fantastic singer-songwriter. And she was brought in when I was signed in my first development deal. And they really wanted Michael Buble Part 2. And so they had a list of signs. Everything I do on stage, like, don't be funny. Keep your hands at your sides. Um, they had a very specific idea of what they wanted a jazz singer to be. And they had the list of the songs for me. And one of them was, uh, and she was brought in as my performance coach, which is an amazing thing. And, you know, Fly Me to the Moon was on there, all these, you know, songs. And she was like, do you like singing Fly Me to the Moon? And I was really depressed at this point. So, <laughs> So I was like, no, not not really. And she's like, every time you sing that, God takes a year off your life. And uh, and she said it with such seriousness that ever since then, people have said, do you know Fly Me to the Moon? I'm like, I don't actually. How does that? And successfully, I've managed to avoid singing it for 15 years. I haven't oh, sung it. Um, incredible. But I think her point was that she said to me, she's like, oh, you know, whether you do it well or not, never forget that creating something original or new, whether that's a solo or whatever, putting yourself out is highest tier always trying to create something original work, even if you're singing a standard, but you're trying to step out and not just stick with what's safe or, you know, whatever stylings you think everyone will want. That's the highest tier and it's the scariest thing to do, but it's the most rewarding. And it's something at the end of your life that you can really stand by and be glad that you did. I can't let you go without asking about your Mexican project. I think this is fascinating. Talk about this. Uh, well, I, I've one thing when I moved uh, to from Los Angeles and landed in in San Diego um, before I started coming back to New York a lot is I didn't realize that I would be kind of in ground zero for this very you know hot button issue that's going on. And so um, I've gotten to be associated um, for the last couple of years with a great organization called Border Angels. And they, you know, 10,000 people have died at the border, um, you know, in the last 10 years, just trying to cross over. And so I think that's something regardless of where people, you know, fit on, you know, on the political spectrum that we can realize is a, is a horrifying statistic. And so they do water drops and lots of other things. But I started working in Mexico. I don't know, it was really random about six years ago, and I was really apprehensive about going. And I think as I've got into it, in a jazz sense, I've just realized how deep Mexican music goes. I think people have an idea of, I don't know, like, I, 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 I. Like, it's all so, mariachi music. Yeah, and mariachi <laughs> music, even that goes so deep. Like the wapancos and the, and the rhythms. But there's so much improvisation, just like in a jazz solo here. It has a different groove. But just like Brazilian music, I, you know, the more you dig into it, there's so much there. And I think the culture, I think... For a country that has, you know, all these uh, um, challenges of its own that it's working with, I feel like there's a warmth and a graciousness that I've experienced that I have a tremendous loyalty. And so for me, in a way, singing in Spanish or working on this project, I think once again, like I was talking about, I think I can make more of a statement about the universality of music and the connection to other people through that without needing to, you know, be too on the nose with it. So I'm recording between here and the, and the States and I think really making it more of a celebration. And through that, you know, 
once again, you know, working on this is my own way of being able to, I don't want to say an act of protest, but a way, a, a way of acknowledging, hey, this is our history too, and this is our connection, and I think music historically has done that. I mean, the reason Spanish music sounds the way it does is because the Moors lived in Spain for 500 years. And the Phrygian scale of the dun 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 is the same as da 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 the call to prayer and all of that. In the same way that jazz is a combination of African rhythms and klezmer influence and all those things kind of melding together. And that through that universality, that's really what the project is going to be about. I think you are fabulous. I love oh, the CD, you, Angel City. It's so great to meet you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. On this very frigid day in New York, it finally feels like winter, but we, we brave the storm. And it's warm in here. It's warm in here. <laughs> Thank you so Thank you, much. Judy. I loved it. Oh, me too. You've been listening to my conversation with Spencer Day. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another celebrated creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineers are J.D. Allen and Curtis Heidoff. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at TalkShoe.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Our opening music was our mail special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Casham on sax and Chris Mori on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons and from Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. Jazz Inspired is also sponsored in part by Page at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. Visit Page at 63 Main at opentable.com. And special thanks to Henry and Gilda Block and to the Ken Colker Foundation. For more information, visit jazzinspired.com or judycarmichael.com. <laughs>